Hello and welcome to the season eight premiere of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth and with me today as always are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing season eight, episode one, which is titled Four Corners. The episode aired on September 27, 2001. Lauren, what was going on over that summer 21 years ago? Uh, well, first off, over this fall, our co-hosts are still not sick of each other. We're still going strong into season eight. So, woo, woo. let's flash back now. Uh, happy birthday to little Lauren and Lizzie because we mentioned this at the end of season seven. My birthday is always like the week after this, the season ends and Lizzie's is always like the week before the season begins. So happy birthday us. May our childhoods be blessed and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I can dream. On June 8th, Tropical Storm Allison made landfall on the upper Texas coastline as a strong top tropical storm and dumped large amounts of rain over Houston. The storm caused $5.5 billion in damages, making Allison the costliest tropical storm in U.S. history. I don't know why that surprises me. Maybe because it's, maybe because you're thinking maybe hurricane versus tropical that's storm. what it is thank you yeah uh on june 11th oh god you gave me so many great ones to read this is <laughs> so a, awesome this, this is the this summer is was a, we should have sorted these better uh on june 11th oklahoma city bomber timothy mcveigh is executed by lethal injection i gotta be careful if i'm doing my cheery note read or my somber note read for the rest of these uh in in the nhl the colorado avalanche defeated the new jersey devils four games to three in the 2001 stanley cup finals in the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers defeated the Philadelphia 76ers to win their second second straight NBA championship. Shaquille O'Neal is named series MVP for the second straight year as well. This is the whole episode is me reading these headlines. Workplace <laughs> sitcom The Office makes its debut in Britain on the BBC. The British version starred Ricky Gervais and Martin Freeman. On August 25th, singer... Al I did. Aaliyah. Thank you. I did it in cold read and now I've psyched myself out. Aaliyah and eight others are killed in a plane crash in the Bahamas. I remember this being a huge deal. Yeah. Like, people oh, are yeah. still huge. upset about this. I think I remember, I, I, this is one of those things like something else we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. This is one of those things that I actually remember where I was and what I was doing when I heard about this. I was uh, getting a haircut and it was one of those things that they like broke in. We're like, hey, by the way, this happened. Yeah. Uh, that sucks. I was... I was just a hair too young. I remember my sister was super upset because she's six years older than me, but I, I just missed this cultural footnote. Yeah. This yeah. was, I think a result, the, the investigation I think revealed that they had overloaded their plane. Mm. Uh, and it was basically just like too heavy to take off. And so like they never got to altitude and it basically just crashed right away. And so the plane was full of fuel and it not great. Yes. Not great. Uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's divorce becomes final. The couple was together for 10 years and adopted two children in that time. I always forget that they were together. And I, I just always remember the photograph of say that photograph. Nicole Kidman walking out of the courthouse or whatever. Yeah, walking out whatever, of so whatever, whenever it became final. Building. Yeah, she just looks exuberant. Like, it looks like she could not be happier. Like, Good she's finally fucking free. Good for her. HBO miniseries Band of Brothers debuted on September 9th and it and at the time was the most expensive TV miniseries ever made. The show follows the dramatized history of Easy Company, a U.S. paratrooper battalion, during the events of World War II and also includes ER alum Scott Grimes. Mm -hmm. It's true. Though he's, you know, obviously not ER alum yet, but I did, I'm surprised that he did this before he did ER, but 
I'm very excited for Archie. Mm-hmm. Movies released over the summer include, here we go, Shrek, The Princess Diaries, Jurassic Park 3, The Fast and Furious, Spirited Away, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Legally Blonde, Pearl Harbor, Swordfish, Rush Hour 2, The Worst Planet of the Apes movie, Moulin Rouge, Jeepers Creepers, and American Pie 2. Hardball is the number one movie this week. I'm sorry. Something about the way that that is worded makes me think that the worst Planet of the Apes movie is Moulin Rouge, and that's very funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Mar- I'm, uh, I should have said the uh, the Marky Mark Planet, Planet of the yeah. Apes movie. Holy shit, though. I have vivid memories of almost every single one of those movies, either either watching them at home mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in a lot of them in the theaters. Like I think I saw, let's see, Shrek, Jurassic Park 3 for sure, uh, AI, artificial intelligence. Holy fuck, that movie's long. I think it's actually still playing. Uh, that scared how long the fuck out of me. Um, as a kid, legally, legally blonde. Uh, maybe America. No, American Pie two would have been a, a DVD uh, movie. But like, I feel like I, I saw a lot of these movies in the theaters, which is so weird to like be at a point now where like I can have vivid memories of not only the, that I've seen a movie, but the actual physical act of seeing the movie. Mm-hmm. I just um shrek and princess diaries were two of my like go-to sick movies when i was stuck at home Mm. not feeling well so i just i have this is back when dvd menus were a thing that we were stuck on sometimes and i just have vivid memories of like falling asleep sick to princess diaries and waking up to that menu music just playing Mm -hmm. and so when i was watching princess diaries on disney plus the other day i just had a core memory unlocked moment my dad absolutely loved shrek I think and I think Fast and the Furious was one of the first like when I got my own TV in my room with my own DVD player and everything Fast and Furious is one of the first movies I remember getting not even because I particularly liked it that much but just because it seemed like a movie that teenage boys were supposed to be into Mm -hmm. and so I was like this makes me like grown up this makes me cool and mature that I have this movie about cars and stealing DVD players okay it's actually a good movie oh no it's it's yeah it's fine it's it's uh, you know it's 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 very quaint though to go back and look at now when you see how fucking off the rails that series has gone stealing DVD players yeah like the the, the (laughs) remember kids doing yeah remember kids the uh Fast and the Furious series begins with them stealing DVD players that's literally the entire linchpin of the first movie is that they are a gang of bandits going around robbing semi-trucks of their DVD players. Okay. Um, And number one songs of the summer. Daniel, I'm so excited to hear your playlist gets updated again. Uh, Don't forget, I I only include the ones that are actually on when the show is on. I don't do the summer ones. Damn it. Lady Marmalade by, by Christina Aguilera, Little Kim, Maya, and Pink. Bootylicious by Destiny's Child, You Remind Me by Usher, and Fallen by Alicia Keys. I'm Real, Murder Remix by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule is the number one song this week. We missed out on so many good songs being added to the playlist, damn it. Um, And here here we are for the big tonal shift. You all knew we were going to have to talk about it. Um, I'm going to start with our overview. We're probably going to have a few minutes discussing about it. If you would really rather not hear about it, just fast forward a few minutes until we get to what else was on. But we're we're going to we're going to talk September 11th, guys. So we'll see you in like 5 minutes. Yeah. That yeah. Seems, Ops. seems fair. So go we'll see you in a bit. On September 11th, the worst terrorist attack to ever take place on US soil occurs. 
19 members of the terrorist organization Al-Qaeda hijacked four separate commercial airplanes mid-flight. Two were flown into the World Trade Center towers in New York City, one, in, one into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and passengers of the last flight fought back against the hijackers, forcing the hijackers to intentionally crash the plane in rural Pennsylvania. An estimated 2,996 people were killed that day, making it the deadliest terrorist attack in world history. And of note, with that death toll, that was just that day. Yeah. Yeah. Countless more of the first responders have since passed away from complications due to a number of diseases. Respiratory issues. Yeah, respiratory illnesses, usually, from mm-hmm. working at working at Ground Zero in New York City. Or other people, or you know, other survivors implicated by complications later on as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, oh boy. I was I was in fourth grade. Sixth. I I remember an announcement coming on over the TV, just to say like, "Hey guys, there just something serious had happened," and I think they had turned the TV on for like a minute, and you know, we we saw the coverage of it but you know we were all too young to really know what it meant and we're obviously watching without sound as kids Mm -hmm. but our teachers needed to know what was happening and we were like in a kind of pseudo lockdown before school lockdowns became a huge thing yeah Mm -hmm. and while you know like while they were figuring out do we need to get the the kids home what's going on so i just remember we had very loose coverage of it and like as 10 as nine-year-olds we're not going to know what's really happening we just, I just remember the images, mm-hmm. but not necessarily knowing what was going on yet. Yeah. I was in seventh grade and my middle school started late enough to where I saw the second tower mm. live on TV hit. Yeah. And that is one of, that is an image that to this day is burned into my brain and will never, yeah. I can't imagine it, me ever forgetting sitting uh sitting there on the couch watching the news before i was about to head out for my bus because my mom said something big my mom said something big had happened did they let you stay home that day or did you still go to school no my mom my mom after the second plane that she short she kind of shooed me out the door okay because she didn't want me seeing anything yeah and i guess yeah because you were just old enough to start to understand what it meant yeah and then we um on the bus ride there, I got onto the bus. All I heard was a news radio station mm-hmm. talking about it, and not a single kid on the bus was talking. Yeah, I just quietly took my seat and listened, and we all listened all the way to school. Uh, yeah, and then in homeroom, they they actually just put on live TV. In our first first period homeroom, they just put on live TV for everyone, and then we talked about it in very. In, various contexts throughout the rest of the day in our classes uh yeah i was in sixth grade uh and i was of course i grew up on the east coast uh and so i grew up uh same w- within a within a couple hundred miles or less of uh dc uh and within a you know a few uh, you know five six hours of new york city um and so like obviously time wise like i was already at school when everything mm-hmm. happened and it wasn't until um I, I think i was in my second class of the day I was in my spanish class i still remember that uh and a uh, principal or something knocked on the door and you know 
pulled my teacher out into the hallway for a minute and he went out there and and they chatted and then all i remember is that when my teacher came back into the room he just like slumped down in his chair mm-hmm. and and was like visibly upset but like didn't have the words to like communicate what he was upset about or what had happened and you know so we just kind of sat there for a minute while he collected himself and then when he finally did he he said something to the effect of like something terrible has happened you're we will tell you when it's appropriate to tell you but basically just like and you're gonna hear a lot of like rumors and stuff and and that Mm. that part was definitely true I, i can remember going going through the rest of that day and moving from class to class, which we weren't really doing any like school work because it was also still very early in the school year too. Mm-hmm. Like school yeah. had only start just started. Um, I was just starting at a new school. Yeah. This so, is time. Um, yeah. Same. Same. Uh, and so like you know we were all just kind of moving through from class to class, and and the teachers were getting pulled out constantly because things were changing, and you know like it was a developing situation. So like teachers were getting pulled out of class constantly, and they were like. Um, you know, so the teacher would leave and we'd be all left alone in the classroom. And we were all like the, the rumor mill was insane. Like I, I remember overhearing kids like with these just like absurd fucking, and this is in the days before, you know, like certainly well before social media and stuff. But so like it, not everybody has a cell phone in their pocket and they're Googling and there's no Twitter and there's no, none of that. So like everybody, and I don't, no I don't know. Is gonna have- I don't know where these kids were getting these like wild ass uh, speculative theories about what was happening. You know, these 12 year olds uh, who were like, you know, oh, I heard that such and such happened. And it's like, you know, so it was just all this like crazy misinformation bouncing around. And, you know, then a lot of kids, myself included, were, you know, pulled out of school early. Parents came and picked them up and brought them home. And my sister at the time was living like right outside of D.C., so I remember my mom being very concerned about that. I remember the car ride home from school. I remember like my mom had the radio on and I remember somebody somebody on the radio that was being interviewed or was talking about the day's events and stuff making for the first time the connection between 9/11 and 911. Like the emergency number, you know, and like and and what a like weird indelible like moment to have frozen in your mind of just like that connection that would be that would be made you know constantly over and over again basically forever after that it was just and then going home and watching basically on a my parents had like cnn on or something Mm -hmm. we just watched everything on a loop and i remember like i remember falling asleep on the couch at one point just be out of exhaustion of just like seeing the same same uh series of images and stuff repeated it was you know, and I, I can't even imagine what it was like for somebody who was personally affected by that day. I mean, it's got to be so 10 times, thousand times worse, you know, like that's, that's unimaginable. And it was just such a weird, just such a weird time. Like it was just such a weird time and, and how we didn't really like understand, or at least I, people my age and like people in, in my peer group, we didn't really understand how much that was going to change things forever like Mm -hmm. how the world literally was different the next day compared to how it was when we woke up that morning i i think one of the other things that doesn't get talked it's talked about more these days but really didn't it it the impact of it wasn't seen by a lot of um 
white Americans until later on is the fact that there was a lot of violence towards Muslim American communities immediately after that. And it's just like, it was, yeah. Oh, now. Wow. Um, Talk about unlocking a fucking memory. Jesus Christ. Yeah. My, my sixth grade algebra teacher, uh, was Muslim and Mm. never like, I didn't particularly like her because she was, because I wasn't good at math. And so she wasn't, she wasn't that nice to me. Uh, but, I didn't I, I didn't put it together until much later. She left halfway through that school year. And I didn't put it together until much later that that was probably as a result of parents complaining or like or something happened that made her feel unsafe in the workplace and that she felt she needed to leave. And like it just never it didn't occur to me until I was much older. I, I just thought mm-hmm. that the I just thought the mean math lady left. And right. it turns out that it was probably something, you know, far more insidious that she probably felt really uncomfortable in that environment. And, uh, yeah. Ugh. I just wanted to make sure we touched on that, that not only was it an awful attack just for America at large, but it further marginalized an already minority group because, mm-hmm. you know, people are stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Oh boy. So with that, Daniel. Yeah. So uh, Jesus Christ, yeah. what else was we're, on? We're going to do the very best we can to steer out of that. I, I will point out here, of course, too, that um, this episode, like many other things at the time, got uh, delayed by the events of 9 11. Uh, the season starting uh, about a week later than it was supposed to. Um, Major League Baseball was delayed for a while. The World Series bled into November for the first time in baseball history and now that's a relatively common occurrence that happens pretty much every year now um just because of like built-in days for travel and advertising and things like that um but that was a huge deal at the time that baseball was was going into november football was was off for a week or two like it it shut the whole country down for a, a solid week um and so, you know, this is one of many things that is affected by that. And, you know, I we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording. You know, this episode is very much in the vein of, you know, the live episode from season four, where it's it's much more of a gimmick than it is an episode. And I don't think that the timelines really match up to say that this episode was a direct response. Like the direction mm-hmm. of this episode was a direct response to the events of nine 11. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a possibility of that, that maybe they, whatever they otherwise had planned for the opening of season eight, they might've thought would be a little too extreme and a little too, um, upsetting for uh, a very delicate audience at that time. I mean, they were very delicate about things they put on TV, things mm-hmm. they put on the radio, you want, I mean, I'm shocked that this episode has a jumper in it. Like that, mm-hmm. that to me is wild that they would put that in this episode. Um, given what has, you know, which, which probably lends some credence to the idea that this was probably written pre nine 11. Um, but it's just, it's there. I think there is a possibility that they maybe looked at what they originally had planned and were like, let's do something a little more generic. Let's do something a little bit more, um, you know, concepty than doing the usual gloom and doom er type stuff to start out the season because it is such a strange time for everybody so Mm -hmm. you know it this is a weird one all that to say this is a weird one i'm I'm just saying one more thing like i remember snl took forever to come back and like oh yeah and then and then when they do rudy giuliani gets his one and only shining moment uh of a zinger 
it's the it's the one and only time I have ever liked that man. Uh, yeah. When they they did the whole thing for you know Saturday Night Live's making its big return after nine eleven, and they brought a bunch of the first responders out mm-hmm. to do the cold open with Lord Michaels and Rudy Giuliani, and you know Lord Michaels does his little spiel about you know how wonderful the first response. I mean, and these guys are literally coming straight from Ground Zero; they're all covered mm-hmm. in dust, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, he does the whole spiel about, you know, like we're so honored to have them here and, and we want to do our part to try to like help everybody help the country heal and, and all this stuff. And he looks at Rudy Giuliani and he goes, can we be funny? And Rudy Giuliani pauses and goes, why start now? And it's the one and only time that I've ever <laughs> been like, that was funny, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, you're a piece of shit otherwise. But uh yeah. So so with that Daniel, yeah, what with, else was on? Yeah. All right, let's let's dive in here. Uh what else was on at 8 p.m. friends with the episode The One After I Do. At 8:30 we got a new show. Don't get used to it though. It will be gone <laughs> before you know it. Uh at 8:30 Inside Schwartz debuts with its pilot episode. It is a sitcom starring Brecken Meyer uh as a minor league sportscaster re-entering the dating world after a breakup. Plots were illustrated with sports highlights. Uh as someone who was watching a lot of sports around this time, I would not watch this if it were made out of water and my eyeballs were on fire. Uh despite earning a whopping 22 million viewers for its first episode, it is canceled in January 2002 after only 9 episodes. Uh, quite possibly the most curious note of this entire show's existence is that Dan Harmon cites Inside Schwartz as the death of traditional network programming and a turning point in the history of television. <laughs> apparently, I mean, Pickle Rick is clearly the pivotal moment that brought it back. So. Apparently he was part of some panel discussion somewhere, and he cites this show as being the point where network executives l- realized that they maybe couldn't keep doing shows like this, you know, generic white guy sitcoms with laugh tracks and all that stuff maybe we can't do this forever and maybe we need to change up the formula a little bit and in many ways i think he's probably got as as is usual with dan Harmon, he's got a kernel of a point he's just kind of an asshole about it um but like he's you know because within you know five years um you know we talked about it in the the headlines the office is in uh airing on the bbc that'll get adapted into American television. You know, like they're, they're, you're definitely going to see a switch in the next five or so years to that much more, you know, documentary style or single cam style versus the multicam sitcom. Not that those shows ever really went away because they're, they still exist in some form today, but there was definitely kind of a, a, a paradigm shift in the years to follow this. Um, and when so. they, do, when they do them now, it's much more tongue in cheek. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. Or it's part of the bit or like it's, it's part of the, the charm of the show. Um, so yeah, that might be, it's, it might be, it's an enduring legacy, uh, other than nine episodes that it uh, got to air. It might be the, the show that convinced network executives that, Hey, maybe we can't just do the funny white guy formula forever. Uh, at 9 PM, Will and Grace with the episode, the third wheel gets the grace. And at nine 30, just shoot me with the episode Finch in the Doghouse, And that's D O double G, which leads me to believe that Snoop Dogg must have made a guest appearance on this episode. No facts to back that up. Uh, but I'm just going by the spelling. It was, it's either Snoop Dogg or road dog. And you know, I'm going to guess that it was probably Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh, 
Oh boy. This week's episode had 28.2 million viewers tuning in, directed by Christopher Missiano doing his 10th out of 11, and previous ones of his from last season included April Showers, Dance We Do, and Sand and Water, and written by the team of Jack Orman doing his 19th out of 28. Uh, some of his from last season included Rampage, Sailing Away, The Crossing, and Surrender, and David Zabel making his debut as a writer, uh, doing his first of 44 through 2009, so he will be with us through the end of the show. Uh, he was also a producer on the show for many years. Uh, he wrote uh, stuff. He's also written stuff like the movie Keith, uh, the series Detroit 187, which I am told was underrated and was canceled before its time. It starred Michael Imperioli, uh, better known as Christopher from The Sopranos, mm-hmm. uh, and Lucky Seven. And he's making his first of 40, 44 appearances. Okay. And the, you know, the downer hits keep coming here. So before we get to this, this episode, I do want to put a massive trigger warning on this one. Holy shit, this fucking episode, y'all. Um, as Daniel alluded to, there's a jumper. So suicide, lots of talk about suicide in this one. Um, some incest for good measure as well. Super awesome. And uh, a whole just lovely big heaping helping of homophobia but especially transphobia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this in this one so nice smattering of slurs through the whole yeah. episode honestly i'm just gonna tell you right now this episode i don't think it's very good no nope. i think you can easily pick us back up next weekend when the season <laughs> begins proper nothing's and, lost and, and you'll lose nothing of value but i, I think it's worth talking about but i don't th- it's it's not their best work yeah so unless you, if you want to hear us shit all over this episode, keep listening. Otherwise, we will see you next week. <laughs> all right. Um, and as you might expect, given the events of the season finale last couple weeks, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, previously I was brought to us by Mark. And so this episode, we're just, we're, we broke it up into parts. So it broke it up into five parts because as the title alludes to four corners, it's a multi-perspective story it's like multiple events. Uh, I forget what the exact there's a there's a term for it. I forgot to look it up. I can't. I my phone is updating. Otherwise, yeah. I would look it up for us in, like I always do. In storytelling, where it's like The Simpsons did an episode like this, where it's like all it's the same day's events, but yeah, through multiple. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like any long running show, I feel like eventually gets around to this episode at some point. It's yeah. just I here's my my uh, along with as lauren said the smattering of slurs and all of the problematic subject matter that is contained within i just feel like as a story or or as as a um as a you know if you're gonna do this kind of episode i feel like they should have made more of an effort to make the central plot thread matter more this Mm -hmm. episode just feels like they were too lazy to link all the stories together, so they just told it four different times from four different yep. perspectives. They're not like particularly intertwined, I don't feel. It, it's really just like a trick of cinematography that is the intertwining, like where you get to they they're it's another flex, like it's another ambush flex where they're just doing the same shit in the background to show you, hey, we can do this. But like Carrie's story doesn't really have that much to do with Luca's or I mean uh Mark's and and Carter's doesn't really have that much to do with Benton's and like so there's not that much intertwining in this story it's just the same day told from four different perspectives kind of sloppily 
they really want to keep going back to that scene at the desk so we can just see just how great Randy looks in those jeans. Uh, yes. Kristen Minter did bring her A game to season eight. Yeah. So our first part here, will it kind of sets up the rest of the episode. And there's no specific perspective here. So a young woman is in the ER, heavy bruising around her eye, looking like looking around when she hears her mom arguing about her not needing the psychiatric consult. And she walks past Carter and Abby having a discussion at admit. Carter's calling about to get a patient admitted. Uh, Mark and Corday are chatting when Randy says Romano needs to talk to Mark. Um, aforementioned, great shot of <laughs> Kristen Minter. Um, Benton asks to talk to Mark about Cleo's reaction to her post-exposure medications as we had that, as she had that uh, HIV scare in the last in the season finale mm -hmm. uh carrie comes back in a woman is brought in by doris and and company uh she said she says prince charles is hers and abby can't have him because because she uh, because he likes coffee and she does too yes and our delusional woman here is play who, who that's actually what she's credited as by the way that's her official Excellent. official credit on imdb is delusional woman uh joan pringle who appeared in stuff like original sin the white shadow and the lost city uh, Luca mentions to Abby a nice apartment on Clark, and he viewed the place and looked at it without looked at it without Abby. And Abby's like, "No, she can't afford it, and she likes her place anyway." So what and the of, hell? Of course, he offers to pay. Yeah, Luca, ever the ever ever the fixer, and a young woman falls from the sky, and then excuse me, and the young and the young woman that we previously saw falls from the sky and lands in front of Abby and Luca in the ambulance bay after crashing through the overhang above them. Very gory. Yes. Yeah. How and I just don't understand how that managed to make it past network sensors or, or yeah. like how they didn't get a massive like you have to rewrite this immediately. And also we're in with bangs. As you might imagine. Oh boy. So yeah, then we come out uh, of the intro, uh, starting with Carrie's perspective. Uh, the so she's seen. So she they don't like spell it out immediately, but like she's on her way back clearly from a, a trip to Africa. Um, although I have my thoughts about that. Like so, she's stopping at the street vendor on her way back in and buys a bracelet and asks him if it is quote authentic. She totally didn't go to Africa. I yeah, I, I have my it's yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. She, she took three weeks off just to be off work. Said she took a trip, but she didn't fucking go anywhere. Right, and the, that's why she gets the bracelet. Right. Yeah, uh, we see her pulling into uh, her uh, spot in the garage at uh, County, and she's listening to a talk radio segment about quote alternative lifestyles, and like. So much of this, like, it, it's really rare, and it's a credit to the show itself, but, like, it, it's really rare that I can pinpoint an exact moment in time and an era in time the way that I can with the first few minutes of Carrie here. Um, like, this talk radio segment, for one thing, is, like, very evocative of early 2000s talk radio when, like, Rush Limbaugh and shit are, like, mm -hmm. really, really rising. And... um her sunglasses her sun yes. her sunglasses are 2001 as fuck <laughs> uh and we get the first of many 
bad haircuts to come this season. Uh, and Carrie's, Carrie's haircut here is very evocative of 2001. I just have to say, again, time is a flat circle. It's uncanny how much these alternative lifestyles arguments are being echoed today for trans people. Like, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's bonkers. I heard this and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Are we on a Twitter special? Yeah. Like, the, the arguments yeah. don't really change. It's just the targets. Like, the, uh-huh. they just move the goalposts. And now it's my turn. Hooray. We love you, Lizzie. Uh, but she walks into the ER. Randy compliments her new haircut and bracelet. Uh, Weaver then goes into the lounge to take a breath and uh, overhears the girl's impact uh, mm. outside. And then we immediately cut over to the trauma room with uh, Carrie, Weaver, and Abby. And uh, Lauren, first one of the season. I'm sure this will go there, great. There was not a better spot to do this. But guys, whose films are those? <sighs> Small correction, Carrie, Luca, and Abby. Oh, Yes, Here. Carrie Weaver and Abby. Yes, Carrie Luca and Abby. I'm sorry. That was my bad. That's how disengaged I was from this episode already. But yeah, whose, yeah. whose films are those? Oh, guys? boy. Uh, the, so the, this patient was uh, already in the ER. She was waiting for a psych consult. Uh, and at this point, it is, uh, we're told that she was pregnant with her brother's baby. Yeah. <sighs> At least they at least they didn't have the stones to like go through with this as a plot thread again mm. by the end of the episode. At least they at least they they like pulled back a little bit from this by the end of the episode. Uh they're they're working on the patient and then a wound bursts in Carrie's face uh, and she is super zoned out like basically catatonic at this point. Uh Benton walks in and uh Luca says that they've got it so that Carrie can get out and get herself cleaned up. I have another like hypothetical about this. That I much like with the bracelet where like she's getting the bracelet because she knows that she's, um, you know, going to have to explain about her trip and talk about it and stuff. She wants to have some kind of physical evidence that she actually went. I think she knows about this pumper and uh, intentionally agitates it because she's being asked uncomfortable questions about Legaspi by Abby and uh, Halle. Like I, they, because they start immediately like talking about Legaspi over her, and then it's one of I, I think it's Abby who is like, "Have you heard from her?" And then it's immediately as soon as she says that that you see Weaver just kind of like poke at something, and then blood bursts into her face, and she has to step back. Like it's Aye. so I think there's a little bit of like, oh, convenient excuse, I can get away, you know. But um, we then over uh, in. In the other room, we overhear the girl's mom screaming as Luca breaks the news to her. Uh, this is the first... We don't really get a close look at her here, but is the first appearance of the mother, Mrs. Jenkins. She is played by the most notable Oh Hey, It's That Person of the episode, Conchata Farrell, who is best known from the TV series Two and a Half Men, uh, but also appeared in stuff mm-hmm. like Mystic Pizza and Edward Scissorhands. It is our first of two uh, E slash R alums uh, this episode. <gasps> Uh, the other ER, the one that George Clooney was also on once upon a time. Mm -hmm. Um, She had a much more regular role on that show um, than he did. Uh, But she is our high watermark actor for the episode 133 credits to her name. And she did unfortunately pass away in 2020. She was one of the first uh, big celebrity names. I remember like post the beginning of COVID. I don't remember Mm -hmm. if it was COVID that got her, but she passed away after COVID was a thing. And she was one of the first people I could remember hearing about dying after COVID uh, was kind of in the public consciousness. And the man Shannon's working on mentions a sleazebag talk show host. 
Oh boy, Jerry Springer. And oh, look, some transphobia for for your for your listening and well, I don't have the audio of it because fuck that. No, nope. but but for for your viewing pleasure and a very garishly dressed, gaudily, gaudily dressed. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, woman, uh, uh, trans woman shows up and is trying to is trying to is trying to reason reason with the guy when all the most fun but is an absolute caricature yeah i'm gonna yeah. say that right now like that's that's the thing with the trans women in this episode is they it's not like the trans woman we had in season one where it's like someone just very nuanced woman trying to live her life they yeah. went out of their way to make these women look almost draggy yeah they'll say they look like drag queens one yeah. one of the other people on in the episode who doesn't get a speaking part is credited in the episode in on imdb as drag queen um so maybe there's a mix of of you know people and involved. this like, this might be back when i'm lizzie i'm gonna use the old school word um, no, not the that not that one. The other one. Uh, this might be back when there was a lot more confusion between drag queen, crossdresser, transvestite, and ah, transgender. Yeah. So, like, some of the women could have been drag queens. Some right. of them could have been true transgender women. And like, this was back before there was actually nuanced understanding yeah. that there is yeah. a fucking difference. I mean, and I mean, there's a difference, family. I'm just gonna say it. Def there, there's a difference. Definitely, this this woman here is the only one who gets any like speaking time, really, mm -hmm. with, barring a couple little one-liners later on. But like, this one's the only and one that gets any any chance to really speak. And so, like, I feel like the rest of the people from the show are being used, sort of, for lack of a better word, as sight gags. Like, they're kind of mm -hmm. they're 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 background dressing in the same way that like in the early seasons like firefighters and and uh yeah you know other other types of like they're just background they're like little things for you to point out in the background and go oh that doesn't look like it belongs there but but yeah this woman who is distressed and trying to convince this biker dude she is clearly supposed to be a trans woman living as a yeah. woman she says yeah. i only need one more surgery yeah mm -hmm. like and maybe it's just because i'm looking at this through our 2020 lens as we like to say but I fell for her like she was she was apparently keeping this a, a secret from this guy she hadn't come out to him yet and they maybe had a relationship and he found out on the show yeah and he yeah. just says some really cruel things to her a lot of f slurs it, it just yeah. it it sucked and yeah. he grabs carrie and says man woman that's what i know that's what's normal and yeah, just tons and tons and tons of fun slurs here in 30 mm. seconds or so. So everybody give Lizzie a hug through your damn. I hate this episode. And like not this particular aspect of the story, but like I do sort of feel like under different circumstances and done differently and done in a more nuanced way. The idea of doing the fallout of a Jerry Springer type show could have been great right is not an in is not as a kernel of an idea a bad idea like there's a, i think there is an episode that you could craft around that and they really don't do that much with it it is very much kind of secondary to you know the girl the the jumper and then you know this guy and like it's just 
it just ends up coming off as like background noise eventually. And I, I think that's disappointing because I think there is kind of a, a nuanced approach to this. And also too, this is a little bit of a like ripped from the headlines kind of thing too. Cause there was a few granted. It's probably almost 10 years by this point, right about the, right about the time that fucking network TV would feel like oh, enough time has passed that we can do this. Um, there was the whole uh, Jenny Jones thing uh, where Jenny Jones was one of the the other dozen daytime talk show. You know, there was mm. Sally Jesse Raphael and Ricky Lake, and you know, there was all yeah. these like they were all competing for viewers and all competing for the same thing. And Jenny Jones had an episode where it was it, now, granted, it was not a transgender person; it was a gay person mm-hmm. who confessed his uh, love for his neighbor, uh, who was also a man. And it was played just like this show is played for shock value, played for, you know, the big confrontation, the big reveal. Uh, and the guy handled it, you know, as well as could be expected on when the cameras were on and, and on TV. Um, and then I think it was like less than a week later, uh, went and knocked on his neighbor's door. And when his neighbor answered the door, he blew him away with a shotgun. And it was, you know, aye, aye. so like in, so there's a very real kernel of an idea behind this storyline that like makes it even more unpleasant, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. so once again, you know, like there's a, there's a good idea in here somewhere, but I feel like they just missed the mark or maybe missed the more interesting parts of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, our pleasant, <laughs> our pleasant biker man here, uh, Mr. Peterson, he is played by actor Scott Anthony Leet, who I really only grabbed because of who he plays in the movie Argo. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really, um, it was really satisfying to get to give like a really embarrassing credit for this guy because he plays such a like prick in this episode. Uh, he plays the Minotaur in uh, Argo, which, uh, if you'll recall from that movie, which is a excellent fucking movie, and you need to go rewatch it immediately if you haven't watched it in a while. Just watched Argo maybe like three weeks ago, and it. Do I have to add this to my three minute list of movies and shows I need to watch? Have you not seen it at all, or have you just never not... seen it? Oh, Lauren, it's so good. It's so fucking good. Um, you know, bet. So, uh, God, here, here's a fucking sidebar on Argo. So, uh, Argo is about uh, it's a, uh, dramatized version of a real story. Um, mm-hmm. there was the Iran hostage crisis yeah. in the late seventies, and um. They got a bunch of them out by putting together a fake movie crew Mm -hmm. that was going to go shoot a movie in Iran, and they uh, disguised the hostages as uh, parts of the film crew and were trying to get them out that way. And they enlist the help of uh, a a real Hollywood producer who had worked with the CIA before, and he is played by John Goodman. And in the movie... Uh, when they contact him initially, he's working on a sci-fi movie that involves a minotaur (laughs) and a production assistant comes up to him and is like, uh, he's complaining about the minotaur costume. He says that he can't act properly in it because it's too cumbersome. And he goes, well, if he could, (laughs) if he could, if he could act that well, he wouldn't be the minotaur in the first place. And it's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Like John Goodman is a fucking treasure and we must protect him at all costs. And another Absolutely. another reason why that movie is so great is because it's John Goodman and Alan Arkin working together and Ooh. two just absolute treasures in their own. All right. right. I'll put it on the damn list. It's so fucking good. Jake for the season eight recap. Argo is <laughs> going on the fucking list. Argo's it's the going first on. one. It's the first one of the season. Argo. Argo. Fuck yourself. 
and our trans hey. trans woman here is played by actress uh, McNally Seagal, who uh, I always get confused with Amy Madigan, who we will see in later episodes uh, down the line. Uh, but this lady is like, we have Amy Madigan at home. Uh, McNally Seagal is best known for being in the movie Pleasantville, SLC Punk, and The Negotiator. And I'm going to put Argo on my HBO Max watch list. Thank you, dear. Have you not um, seen Argo either, Lizzie? No, nope. neither of us oh have. Oh, my God. It, like, I feel like we need to like have a have a collab chat watch of Argo because that movie is exquisite. Well, Lord knows we've been trying to plan a collab net collab chat movie or game night for a while anyway but anyway luca asks carrie to go upstairs with him for the m&m uh she asks if anyone has been talking about her while she's gone carrie um we go up to the m&m we see mark on the podium having a little chit chat about what happened carrie is deep in thought about kim and kim's coming out and you know all the discussions they had about it and everything's kind of in slow motion. She sees everyone staring at her and she totally misses that Ansible asked her a question. And then she, at first he's like, well, did you know about this or something? She's like, what? And Ansible asks like, were, were you guys okay to handle this in the ER? Did you feel you had proper like coverage for this amount of trauma? Was this an operational failing? And she goes, no, we, we were, we were good. Like we handled stuff as it came through. We were fine. So, just very awkward. We got our, go to our first audio clip of the season. Uh, Carrie and Romano are talking after the M&M. Watch your back. Carrie, you, uh, you under the weather? Excuse me? You're a little slow on the uptick. Jet lag. Oh! Oh, yes. Your uh, trip to uh, Africa, was it? Spontaneous decision. Doesn't seem like you. Half of my crude personal days are about to expire. You know, it still doesn't justify you going MIA for three weeks with no real warning. You know what? I took a vacation. I may take another. I still have 19 days banked. Uh-huh. I see. You might want to try Papua New Guinea for your next big adventure. I hear they put gourds on their penises. Give us a notice next time. Careful, Carrie. Wait. You okay? Yeah, hold on. You know, you can just call my office. You don't have to go beating up the elevator. You, uh, what have you told? Told who what? About what we discussed before I left. Oh, ah, yes, uh, like Aspie. I, as ordered, I backed off, but she was determined to leave. Decided she didn't like us anymore and was going to move and work in San Francisco, I understand. Go figure. Could have told uh, anyone about me. I don't know what you're talking about. I think you do. Have you told anyone that I'm a lesbian? Oh, um, no. Carrie, I, uh, I assumed that that was confidential. Was I wrong to assume that? I mean, if you want to tell everyone, it's, it's your business, but I don't see how the person's sexual affairs are appropriate subject matter for a workplace conversation. Do you, Carrie? No. Glad we're on the same page. I want to note here, we could almost believe that Romano is not a raging asshole if we didn't know anything about him before this episode. Yeah, yeah. that that was my, my thing, like, thought experiment. Like, is is he being uh, uncharacteristically decent, or is it just a strict, like, power play thing of, like, now he has something to kind of hang over her head, and so he would he's going to enjoy doing that far more than he would the satisfaction of outing her to everyone. Like, the 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 suspense and the keeping her kind of on her 
heels is much more entertaining to him than it than it, the momentary satisfaction of doing it to everyone. As much as I'd love, it's that he's having a good person moment. I have to believe it's the power play. It's abs- the way he says it. It's it's absolutely the power play. Yeah. Oh, I I didn't think that was appropriate. Yeah. Also, the it's dude's not, like not going to come up. The dude's face in the elevator when he says, "Oh, you should go to Papua New Guinea next." I hear they put gourds on their penises. The dude behind <laughs> her is just like, "What the fuck?" It's so good. Oh man. And yet, if you know Romano, that's sure. Why not? Perfectly in character. Uh, should we go on to what I'm calling part three? Go for it. Uh, we're on to Benton. Let's see what's going on with Benton today. Um, we see him at presumably Walt's garage, where we see quote Walt, we think, and his daughter. I didn't. I didn't. Take I don't it, know. I didn't take it as Walt. I took it as either another one of Benton's rotating mystery nephews, or possibly based on the age of his niece, possibly his niece's husband or significant other. Yeah, I don't know. The only reason I thought maybe it was supposed to just randomly be Walt is because the niece says like, "Oh, you should really pay him because mom got fired." That was the only reason why I thought maybe, but I'm realizing since it's Walt's garage any payment will eventually get to Walt. So it could have been any of the above and made sense. But again, we learn Jackie got fired because Benton's talking to his niece, who is played by... She is played by actress Tamala Jones, who appeared in stuff like Blue Streak, Can't Hardly Wait, and Booty Call. Uh, and this is her last appearance, but she did make two other appearances, again, from the why the fuck did they... For a show that is so fucking clumsy when it comes to continuity sometimes... They then will also go out of completely out of their way to continue continuity from years ago that no one was paying attention to uh, because, you know, you can't keep Luca's backstory straight and we can't bother to, to cast anybody for recasts that look even remotely like the first person who played the part. But we can sure as hell go back and get the same little girl who was playing Benton's niece back in season one and made two appearances back in 1995. We can sure as hell dig her up from the Shadow Realm for one last appearance here in 2001. Just really bizarre. Yep. But so she mentions things aren't great with uh, Jackie and Walt, her parents. And then Benton goes into work. He is working on the talk show host. And while he's working on the talk show host, who is just babbling away, uh, he's watching Cleo talk to Mark about something in the background. Talk show host says one of the um, T-slurs bit him. Oh, yeah, but right. as Benton is walking away, he does gender her right. He says, but she bit me. Like So like he's at least, I guess, gendering them. But correctly. he asks, can you get AIDS? Okay, I missed that part. Yeah. Uh, but this is also... The only time we will do anything with the talk show host. Like, the talk yep. show host is wholly insignificant to this story. Yep. We will never see or talk to him again. The talk show host is also Scottish for some reason. Yep. This is never addressed. This is never really, like, th- th- there's no, like, oh, it's the Scottish uh, Jerry Springer. Nope. This is nope. just a thing that is going, like, I, what a weird, bizarre choice. It's just cra- evil Craigieford. Yeah. Uh, but then Benton walks up to Cleo, asks if she's still taking her triple cocktail. And Cleo's like, well, if you want to fucking be helpful, go talk to this 20 year old girl, the one from the start of the episode, because she found out her boyfriend is her half brother. And, um, the girl's mom comes in as Benton's taking care of her. And the girl's name is Alice starts screaming at the mom. And the mom says, the producers made me do that which we will learn how, how insidious that line is a little bit later. Uh, and while they're screaming at each other, he is just staring at the ultrasound the whole time. 
she thinks she might be pregnant he confirms she's 10 weeks along but of course he had he is just so out of his element here which is weird we've like backdated benton by like three seasons here with how little people skills he has for this poor girl I think he just doesn't know what to say because but, honestly, would you? No, but he he'd been better about having anything instead of just roboting. He's at least being like calm. Yeah, and... he's he's not being dismissive, which is a, a trait, an early Benton trait that he has grown out of. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, it's like Lizzie said, it's it's not probably every day that he gets a case like this dumped in his lap and has to at a moment's notice know how to like navigate this. Yeah. You know. But she, Alice asks for the curtain to be closed. He respects her privacy, walks out of the room, asks Chuni for a head CT and a psych consult for her. And then we see him, we flash over to him cleaning up a head wound on a woman from the talk show who starts flirting with him. I believe if I remember correctly from IMDb, I believe this is the woman or the one who is credited as drag queen. So well, I'm, I mean, I'm not she's, sure. It, she's the only other one with like a speaking part from right. the, the, oh my God, I was going to make... From the trans folks. Yes, but I was, there was a trans delegation was the word I was going to use. But um, either way, she says like, she, he's like, you can't wash your hair or whatever. Don't get this wet for, for like a week. She goes, but I'm in a bridal party this weekend. Like I have to be able to wash my hair. So that was really cute. Just little moment there. Um, I'm trying to find humanizing moments in these <laughs> awful caricatures. Work with me, people. Uh, but then Benton walks away and asks Mark if Cleo is having issues with her triple cocktail because Cleo didn't fucking tell him anything. And as this happens, Joni, his niece, shows up to talk to him and thinks her parents are going to split up, uh, asks Benton to talk to Jackie because it's been a year and she's still really struggling with Jesse's death. Yeah. And like mom yells and cries and whatever and Walt just goes out all hours and doesn't say anything stares off into space and then occasionally says we have the meats nothing no arby's written wow tough crowd for arby's i didn't know i didn't know he was the arby's dude you did what who else would it have been who else sounds like that fucked if i know okay lizzie what happens next wait bing rames is Thank you. Bing Rams is the is this, Arby's dude? Who did you all think was the Arby's guy? Gilbert Gottfried? I didn't put, I didn't put much thought into it. Yeah, because it's fucking Arby's. Who else who eats sounds at Arby's? like that? Okay, the curly fries are... <laughs> the curly fries are yeah, pretty no, good. The curly fries are great. And, and and deep cut mozzarella sticks are pretty good, too. Yeah, you're right. And like I, I really like Arby's. But somebody out there never... somebody out there appreciated my We Have the Meats reference. I do now that I fucking understand that it's actually him, Yeah, but... We're sorry, Daniel. We're sorry your brilliance goes so unappreciated. Lizzie, what happens next? Uh, Ben's page back down to the trauma room for Alice's trauma after she's jumped. Uh, time lapse of it, and she does not look like she's going to be recovering. So Luca goes out to talk to the mom, and Belay and Abby just sort of go through the motions with Benton, just give it, giving her one last shot to to maybe have pull up pull a miracle, and nah. Uh, Nope. Halle points out that she's an astistole. Yeah, she never had a pulse. And Mrs. Jenkins is screaming and crying in, in the background as Benton calls time of death. And brings us right into our super happy next fun clip, too. God, this, this <laughs> episode fucking, sucks. This fucking episode. Jesus Christ. Let's listen to what Peter and Jackie are talking about. Peter. Hey. Hi. Are you spring cleaning? Get rid of some crap. Not too dark out here for that? I wanted to finish. Salvation Army comes tomorrow. All right, well, let me give you a hand. I'm almost done. 
Want a hamster cage? Nope. You okay? What did you need, Peter? I what? I just came by for a, uh, a snow shovel. All right, came to check on you. I heard you lost your job. We'll just have to wait to expand that porch. What's wrong with the porch? I don't know. Thought it was time for a change. Walt took some pictures of the backyard that we could Xerox, draw on, make plans. When I went to pick up the prints, I found three pictures of Jesse left on the roof. Fell apart, right in the store. I realized that's it. There'll never be any more pictures of him. Fifteen years old, and he's never gonna change. I think every day you're getting a little better, getting through it. And then you're right back to the day it happened. He's still my baby, Peter. I'm supposed to take care of him. I feel like Somewhere, sometime, he's going to be sad, or cold, or scared. Who's taking care of him? Who's being his mother? First off, I want to point out great work to Martin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And great work to Jackie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Grief, grief is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how she says, and sometimes I'm right back to the day it happened. Like, oof. I know. There was a there was a moment where I was like, oh, like, why didn't they just do the whole episode with this? And then I was like, nope, that's not good either. That's not that's not totally no, no, appropriate no, 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 for the time no. either. Like what what they should have just had <laughs> this this should have been the Jerry in a gimp suit episode. That's what it should have been. <laughs> like there's no Jesus there was Christ. no other there was no other totally appropriate thing for ER to do in But uh, we knew but we need Susan for that to make it perfect. <laughs> But just like, what what were they supposed to do with this episode that would have made narrative sense and also be totally appropriate for its uh, time? Carter and Gamma hanging out. That's it. Just give me an hour of that road trip episode with Carter and Gamma. Yep. Yeah, actually, that might, I mean, had they had the time to like actually shoot and produce it, that might not have been a bad idea. Like, have have Gamma like ditch the funeral and take Carter with him, or take Carter uh, with her, which. Brings us perfectly into part four. Oh, yeah. So next part, part four, Carter. Uh, we open on an awkward car ride with his mom in a cemetery. This is our first appearance of one Mama Carter, uh, played by actress Mary McDonnell, uh, who is best known for stuff like Battlestar Galactica, Donnie Darko, uh, of which these two were co-stars, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, being the president's dead wife in Independence Day. Uh, she was also uh, the other E slash R alumnus in this episode. Uh, and she is making her first of five appearances only through 2002, which I would have thought might 
be longer. I like, I don't know why I associate her with being somebody who's around much more than apparently she is, but just five appearances and only through the the next year. So uh, we get some very dramatic music from Martin with some uh, bassy undertones. Uh, and of course, Carter's phone goes off during the funeral. How rude. If only that would be the last embarrassing thing to happen during a funeral for Carter. Uh, we find hey. out that it is his grandpa's funeral. So shout out, Gampa Carter. Dead. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. That means he doesn't have to be part of this episode anymore. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, Mama Carter is a big old wasp. Like, I forgot how much I dislike really both of Carter's parents, but especially his mother. Like, his mother is, like, as they would say in the biz, a piece of work. Like, real piece of work is Mama Carter. And Carter gets another call from Abby about his peds patient that was supposed to be admitted and asked the driver to make a detour to the hospital and asked mine, asked mom, if she minds after giving the directions. Oh yeah, just get off at division. And oh you don't mind it, right? Um visit and goes to visit his peds patient and check in on her and says Abby will hang out with her until she's admitted upstairs. Very cute little girl. Yes, very mm-hmm. nice. And then he asks Abby about the patient's latest stats and he calls to yell at the doctor upstairs and says, you know, get your thumb out and come down and admit this patient. And as he's on the phone, Abby goes, that's a nice suit. Who died? Carter's like, my grandfather. And she asks, oh, do you want to get coffee to talk? Keep in mind, this is right after he said, I don't want to be your girlfriend. I don't want to fucking talk about shit unless I'm sleeping with you. Well, three weeks have passed since then. Don't care. Still, still mad. Um, but he has to go back to the funeral reception. I, I can't think of a better word than that. She offers to join, but he says she shouldn't have to suffer through it. And then we flash forward to him and his mom getting back to the house. And his mom straightens up his tie when they get to the backyard. And we learn that his parents are not staying at the house. They are staying at the Drake. So weird that they're not staying there to take care, like to be there for Gamma. Would it be called a wake? Yes, maybe. No, maybe. I think the I think wake is the like reception after the the funeral. I it's been so knock on wood. It's been so long since I've been to a proper funeral. True. Like we did a memorial for my dad, but that was far separate from when he had passed. So, uh, adults, get at us. Proper names, yeah. Jesus. This uh this we got a brief glimpse of him in the like uh crowd at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody asks why Doug and Carol weren't at Gampa Carter's funeral. God damn it. Um. Uh, we got a Christ. we got a brief glimpse of him uh, in the crowd at the funeral, but this is the first time we get to hear Papa Carter speak, uh, and he is played by actor Michael Gross, who appeared in uh, the TV series Family Ties and the Tremors family of movies, uh, like one through four. He's in like apparently big 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 part of the Tremorverse is uh, Michael Gross, uh, and he's make he's got 125 credits to his name, and he's making his first of six appearances through 2004, and while. Sally Field might be the best, like, personality uh, match-casted parent on the show. Like, she might be the best, like, you know, I this person's behavior and this person's, like, personality is an excellent match for their on-screen child. No more so better will you find somebody who's perfectly physically matched to be someone's yes. parent on the show than Carter's mm-hmm. dad. I 100% yeah. believe that Michael Gross is Noah Wiley's father. <laughs> like, that's that's 100% believable for me. 
Yep. And then uh, Carter's like, where's Gamma? Like, and you guys should be staying at the house. You guys should be here for Gamma, blah, blah, blah. And dad says, do you want to help your grandmother? Be a good host. Introduce yourself to the Senator blah, blah, blah's daughter. Like, go schmooze. Go be, go be part of the elite. Go do your job. All right. Uh, Abby shows up at the funeral. And, Why? Well, let's find out. Let's listen to her and Carter talking. Don't fucking talk to this piece of shit ever again. Holly got her bed. Yeah, did Wiseman come down? Yeah. Two minutes after you called. It's amazing what a little uh, pull your thumb out will do. <laughs> did you eat something? No. I couldn't decide between the smoked tongue pate and the whitefish mousse. Yeah, we must have run out of the pigs in the blanket. Well, somebody should really talk to your caterer. We're gonna have some dirty birds. Grandpa likes to drive the power lawnmower around. And he drove it into the bird bath? Not on purpose. He was having a fatal MI at the time. <laughs> oh, God. I I'm sorry. Gotta die somehow. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad way to go. Sunny day. Head on the mower. Don't, don't laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> stop, don't laugh. Well, stop it. Oh, God. I hope it's all right uh, that I came here. I'm not usually a funeral crasher. Figured this would be a good one. And I felt bad. That something like your grandfather dying could have happened and we didn't even talk about it. John, have you seen Millicent? No. Mom, this is my friend Abby. Abby, this is my mother, Eleanor. Hello. Hi. Things are winding down. She really needs to make an appearance. I will go and look for her in a minute. Please do. Sorry. It's okay. No, that's my parents. They don't... They don't handle loss well. Who does? It's been a while since we've had to deal with this sort of thing. Since your brother died? Mm-hmm. Better go. Before we talk about anything important in that scene, when Abby says, oh, I feel bad that it's, you know... This happened and we couldn't talk about it. Abby, you don't owe him fucking anything. You don't you don't owe him shit. He said he didn't want to be your friend because he couldn't fuck you. You don't owe him shit. He you don't even need to be here for him. Fuck this. Fuck this so hard. I'm still mad. Fuck, 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 shit, fuck. Okay, go sorry, go ahead. Talk about talk about the emotional shit. You should I'm just you should drown him in that broken bird bath. I'm still so mad. Go ahead. Adults, take it away. I mean, you basically. Yeah, you, you basically by. nailed it. I mean, I just, you know, like like you said at the before the clip, it's like, why, why is she here? Why are we doing this? Like, I just, and I feel like that's going to be the theme of the season for me is why are we doing this? <laughs> After he just said, I don't want to be your friend. Yeah, which like, I, I'm, I'm now, of course, as Jake is doing his speed run through season eight, uh, you know, as is tradition post the, the season wrap ups. I'm remembering that there's a lot more will they won't they horse shit to come. They don't just really go mm -hmm. full steam ahead into into Carter and Abby right away. They kind of Ugh. they kind of torture us with it a little bit. Got to take the Susan detour. Right. And so, like, I thank <sighs> God for the Susan detour. 
I'm the only at one. Least it's I don't not, no, I like I like them together. At, at least it's not this. Like I don't like them together, but at least it's not this. Like this this just is like annoying. Like the the Susan Carter thing kind of makes me want to leave my body a little bit, but in a different way. This makes me want to leave my body because it's like this is stupid. They're not fucking adults. They're not. They're they're just toxic and shitty and. Bleh. Yeah, it's just not my favorite. I. I'm I, sorry, but the minute the minute a man says I don't want to be your girlfriend. Yeah. Like if I can't date you, I'm not. I'm not bothering to emotionally invest in your shit. I'm out. I. Yeah. I'm out. So I'm sorry. Gampa died on a lawnmower. Fucking sad and fucking. You gotta go somehow. Cool, I guess. Whatever. Right. Carter's mom is still frigid. Also, uh, whitefish mousse sounds a lot like whitefish dip that we get up north every summer. And now I had to, I had to wonder how Michigan was going to factor into this somehow. Michigan is like the poochie of this podcast, where it's like when it, whenever Michigan is not on the podcast, people should be asking, "Where's Michigan?" <laughs> Michigan died on its way back to its home planet. I've, like I've been good not doing it all the time these days, but still now I now I want I want whitefish. Dude. Oh my god! So Carter then goes and pops into the study to find his dad watching the world's most boring television, financial news. Bleh. Speaking of wanting, Ex- speaking of wanting to leave my body, uh, I find golf more boring personally golf at least there's a soothing aspect to it like at least like they talk really soft and like you could maybe like talk yourself into a nap but like with with financial news they're just they're yelling and there's numbers scrolling across the screen like it's just oh what's his name kramer it's just not fun for anyone involved uh he suggests that his dad stay in the house uh for gamma's sake uh that he needs to stand up to carter's mom about it and don't run away again and like God, I forgot how shitty Carter's parents are. Like, in different ways. Uh-huh. Completely different ways. But they're just so shitty. Um, and, you know, he Carter's like, I've left it alone. Bobby's not coming back. If mom wants to walk around in a bubble for the rest of her life, fine. But don't let her keep holding you inside of it. And much more to come between Carter, Carter and both of his parents, but especially Carter and his dad. Uh, you know, who, who I think does have something of a, like, redemptive... Uh, quality to him and a redemptive arc to him like I'm, I'm there's one moment in particular I'm thinking of but just like like I, I feel like I'm gonna at least get a chance to warm up to Carter's dad way more than I do his mom his mom I feel like just sucks the whole time and I don't remember exactly where that goes uh well Carter goes to check the garage at his dad's suggestion and we find Gamma flooding the engine of a beautiful car beautiful very old car and she suggests they pop the champagne that she had been saving for her and her and john's grandpa's um 60th anniversary and they missed it by one year so to hell with it mm-hmm. and she just pulls a glass out of nowhere <laughs> she she brought it out with her i know i know i know it's but still, it, I like to imagine a reality where Gamma Carter is always packing, like always has a champagne <laughs> glass at the ready. Like G- Gamma Carter strikes me as the type that would bring a flask to a fundraiser. Jesus Christ. Uh, but Carter pops the champagne bottle and gets it all over the car and windshield. That's probably not going to be cheap to clean. Or will it? Uh, he gets a, he gets a chug from the bottle while she gets a glass, and they decide to take the car out for a spin because the car is magically clean. There is no champagne anywhere on that windshield. Hope somebody so, got fired for that blunder. 
So the house elves did their job. Uh, then we go over to part five, which is Mark. And he starts with, he's chilling in an MRI with that awful face cage that they put on you to keep your head still. I hate it. I have to go do one of those again soon. And I don't want to. Um, he asks the tech for feedback. And of course the tech's like, we got to wait for the radiologist to look at it. I, I'm not going to see shit. And he goes, come on, just tell me if there's anything bad. Tech's like, can't, sorry. Then we go over to, he's in the ER and Lucas suggests that Mark present the fa- the Fawson case at the M&M because he was the one who kind of saw it through. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, Alice's mom, Mrs. Jenkins is asking, who is just now being wheeled in on a stretcher, is asking if Alice was brought here. We don't know yet. Uh, we see Cleo throwing up in an emesis basin in the other room. She says it's been the third time today. Uh, We find out the meds might be damaging her liver and giving her hepatitis. And Mark's like, three out of four ain't bad. Maybe you stop early, check your levels and stop a week early, which is so weird to have a doctor suggest don't finish your course of medication. But those meds are no joke. I know. Um, And then Adele stops by. Uh, She's in a wheelchair. Romano wanted her at the M&M as a show and tell. We learn that she's walking a little bit with leg braces and physical therapy. She is not going to the M&M. She says, have fun with that. Bye. Like, I'm not, she's not fucking around. She's not hanging out at the M&M. She does not need that in her life. Then Mark is working with Lizzie on a homeless man that was just brought in who was assaulted for his coin cup by a bunch of punks. Uh, Lizzie asks how the MRI went and he's like, it's fine. How are you? She goes, six weeks of maternity leave. Not enough. Damn straight. Definitely not enough, Lizzie. Um, And Mark contests Lizzie's suggestion for the man to go up to surgery. Says they need to stabilize him down here. That he's a shitty candidate for surgery right now. And then we learn that uh, Randy says, Randy, again, for the fifth time this episode, says, Mark, Romano needs to see you up in his office. So let's actually go and listen to what the hell is going up, going on with Mark and Romano in Romano's office. M&M's. They serve their purpose in the practice of medicine, I guess, but they can be a real pain in the ass. Needed something, Robert? I hear you're presenting this uh, serial killer. Mass murderer? Right, right, this Fawcett guy. You don't want me to? No, no, it's just that legal flag something that might be asked, and I wanted you to be prepared for the question. Sure, go ahead. It's no big deal. It's their job to be anal. Yeah, what is it? Well, uh, the nurse's notes show that you left the trauma room at 1625. And the code blue notes from pre-op begin at 1642. Why'd it take you 17 minutes to transfer a patient up four floors? Well, I, uh... Dr. Romano, there's an incident in the ambulance bay. I'm in a meeting, Brenda. Uh, an ER patient jumped out a fourth floor window. That's great news. Brenda, thank you. Are they dead? I don't know. They're working on her. Keep the press away. No statements from anyone to anyone and get risk management down there. Why I wanted this job. I will never know. All right, Green, let's go. As you can see, I've got bigger fish to fry. Doors open on the surgical floor. I was alone, doing chest compressions. Ran down the defib battery. It took time to get help. Transfer the patient to pre-op. Okie doke. Brenda, get PR on the line. Is that it? Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to be crying over this guy to you. Something about that line delivery of 
that's great news brenda that's just great that's great <laughs> that's great that's and fantastic the, and, the, and the way he's like rubbing his eyes when he does it it is like are they dead <laughs> it just kills me like oh he's so good he's so fucking good i yes just absolutely i can't hate romano anymore i just can't do it it's very hard. You can love to hate him. Extremely hard. Usually when they say you have to separate the art from the artist, it's usually going in the opposite direction. Like you mm-hmm. usually have to separate mm-hmm. the excellent character from the terrible human being that portrays them. It I, In Paul McCrane's case, it is 100% well, the opposite. It's going to be real fascinating for that specific issue when we get to, um, when we get to Malucci's send off, because we just had that lovely discussion with him. Yeah. I and know. I'm, just, I'm not ready. Uh, that's uh, episode after Which, next. If you're keeping score, yeah, I'll say, yeah, Maluch's gone in two episodes. Yep. We barely hear from him this eight, episode. Eight three. Which, uh, if you listen to that interview, you'll know that uh, that was always kind of the plan. He never really intent, like it was never discussed that he would be around for any length of time during season eight. It was basically they, the decision was made over the summer that uh, he would not be continuing on with the show, and uh, so they. Wrote that lovely little ditty to get him out in uh, episode three. But it's a great story on how they came to that. Yes. Yeah. The whole interview is fantastic. He's a lovely, lovely human being, and you should absolutely go listen to it. He was a ton of fun. Uh, but we finally go over to the M&M, this time from uh, Mark's perspective. Mark going over the facts of everything. Uh, Lizzie is starting to put things together when reviewing the chart, uh, you know, kind of reviewing that Mark that that Mark was in the elevator by himself, that the patient, that Fawson was still conscious. Like she's definitely starting to put pieces together. Um, and maybe Lizzie, maybe you remember this better than, than I do. And I'm sure, I'm sure plenty of listen. I can already feel my DM. Uh, I like <laughs> my inbox filling up with people going, um, actually, I, I like that. You don't even bother to ask if I'm going to remember. Go ahead, yeah, Daniel. No, I, 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 we know, we I know, I know who I'm here with. Um, is there like a definitive moment this season where Mark finds out that his cancer has returned? Like, do we get that moment or is it just him telling everyone else? It's there's, I think there's a moment there is. If okay. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, because there's... like I, I, I had this moment watching this episode where, cause he has the little conversation with the, the radiology tech earlier. And like, I had this moment where are they doing like this, like cross lines thing where Mark knows that his cancer is back and he doesn't want to tell Elizabeth and Elizabeth is now putting the pieces together about the Fawson thing. And so like, they're both like looking across each other of like, he's being weird because he knows about his cancer and she's being weird because she knows about Fawson and they don't Mm. actually know what each other is upset about. And I kind of was wondering if that was the angle they were going with it, but I think you're right. I think there is a moment where it's, you know, like definitive of like, yeah, he's finding out for the first time that his cancer is back. So we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And like I said, I can already feel my fucking inbox filling up with people going like, actually, at 2248 of episode okay. six of season eight. But to be fair, our whole job is actually. So like to have <laughs> listeners do it to us. It's only fair. Up. It's only it's fair. only fair. But yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Mark asks Abby uh, where the homeless guy went. Uh, and Lizzie took him upstairs, presumably to get worked on. And uh, Mrs. Jenkins is fretting over Alice's body and wants to extubate her. And she talks about the situation with the producers and how nice they were to set. How nice they were to set up to do the show. Oh, Sorry, yeah. I missed. And words. how yeah, and how nice they were to like how how well they were treated. Yeah. Like they were put up in a nice hotel. They were bought new clothes. Yeah. 
everything she, everything she was, got her teeth fixed she says yeah hey yeah. you know that's a huge deal yeah oh it is dental's yeah. expensive one little white lie dental's expensive i get it but yeah it was it was a lie the whole thing about uh, alice's boyfriend being her half brother yeah not not true and she drops the line that she always used to tell alice which is when you don't tell the truth god gets very angry and she said that the producers told her to come clean after the show and if there hadn't been the huge fight she would have been able to and none of this would have happened yep not great bob not great not great at all so the impetus the tragedy for this whole episode was based on a lie cool oh boy and then Lizzie comes home to Mark and Ella on the couch and she's exhausted and of course has kind of the mental weight on her mind of the revelations about the Fossen thing. She's kind of putting two and two together that her husband might be a teeny tiny bit of a murderer just as a treat. Uh, and uh, this is, this is kind of where I was getting at before of like, it feels like there's this like cross crossing of lines here and like crossing of, of perspectives where like, Lizzie's clearly upset about one thing. Mark is clearly concerned about her catching on to something else, or or maybe it is the Fawcett thing that he's upset about. But like, there's there's just like this this mismatch of perspectives here. I I feel like, and uh, she says to Mark that we do what we think is right, Mark. And then she starts to say something to him as she goes up the stairs, but then just thinks better of it and says that you know she'll take care of Ella when she wakes up, and doesn't clearly does not want to talk about this whole Fossen thing anymore and that basically ends the episode and like I said at the top like it's it's an episode that like much like Ambush is dependent on the gimmick and unlike Ambush doesn't do the gimmick well enough to make it memorable yep. like Ambush they fucking nail the hell out of the live episode like they they that you can sit there and marvel at and you can go like wow they they did the hell out of this like it's not a very memorable episode on its own but it's just as a feat of strength it's amazing this it's like okay like a couple of times you see like abby and luca walk by in the background it's always it's always abby and carter at that fucking admit desk right yep. abby and carter in the background randy turned around and saying the same fucking line over and over, like shout out to Kristen minter for a boring week at work for having to say the same fucking line over and over again uh, just from different angles uh, and at different volumes, like it's just I don't know. It, it's th- I I don't I don't hate the gimmick. I don't hate the idea. I think if you wanted to do an episode like this, you certainly could have. But the execution here is booty. Like the execution here just mm-hmm. blows. And they just with how much they lay on the transphobia and the homophobia and just. The tragedy of the incest. Yeah, and this like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do an episode like this, why make it about this? Yeah. Like, or why, why, or, or just have them least... be more, more like intertwined. Like that. Like, yeah. yeah. Carter's well, story has largely nothing to do with any of the rest of them, and really Benton's doesn't either. But beyond his brief involvement with the jumper, or if you're gonna do this story with the transphobia and shit, have it actually be a teachable moment. Don't just have them be punchlines. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's very little like examination of any of that. It's all just kind of like, Hey, look at this. And I just, you know, the whole thing feels very empty. 
There's not, like I said, we don't do anything with the the host of the show who is Scottish for some reason. Got to keep reminding people of that. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's just like every aspect of the execution of this is like underbaked and undercooked. And I just wish that they had taken the time to really flesh this idea out and do something really cool with it. Um, but again, like we said at the very top of the episode too, they're in a really tough spot. Like they're in a really tough spot and I don't know where the production of this episode falls with the events of the, you know, real world, but like, I don't know that there is a way for you to open this season with everything we know that it's coming at the time they're doing it and not have it come off as either like garish or awkward or like, I just don't feel like there's any reasonable way that you could do this episode and not have a problem with it i forgot my question uh cool. so what's everybody's number ratings uh solid five from me there's some good moments yeah. here and there but like it's yeah this may the story sucks the blade uh, the the super in your face use of slurs sucks the it just it just sucks it's just the whole episode just sucks yeah. four four whoa just fuck just yeah four. i mean we were talking about that off mic too like is does this qualify as like our least favorite episode or whatever and i definitely think it qualifies as the least favorite premiere thus far mm-hmm. oh absolutely oh, yeah. we may have worse premiere i'm thinking like seasons 12 13 14 somewhere in there like i'm we there may be worse premieres to come um but i certainly think to date this is probably the worst one we've had thus far without question and I think it probably would enter into my like top ten least favorite episodes thus far, but I I don't yeah. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's my une- unequivocal least favorite episode. Period. It's just you know, eh. it's just weak sauce. Yeah, definitely a and weak guys, way to start the season. I watched it twice a week apart, so it's not just notes grump. Gonna say that right now because this one could have been a notes nightmare. It's not just notes grump. This was after watching it twice. Yeah, that, yeah. Which I, I think we talked about that late in late season seven that we said that this episode was going to be a rough one for you for notes. And I went into it with the expectation of like, this one's going to be one I'm going to have to talk, especially Lauren and maybe both of you into like because my memories of it are better than what my experience was with it this time. My memories of watching it first time was like, oh, that was the episode where they did the like you know multiple perspectives thing, thing. Yeah. yeah like it's okay sure that'll be cool and then when i watched it i was like this fucking sucks like- again love <laughs> the idea hate the execution yeah yeah so when we get to our season eight surprises it can be how weak that premiere was yeah. there you go but what the listeners have to say about it though you just really want turkey salad i really i <laughs> bro have you ever had fucking turkey salad yes you fed it you've spoon fed it to me twice today already uh <laughs> That sounds weird out of context. (laughs) Uh, Haley Case says, this style of storytelling is one of my favorites. I like how we just jump right in with little to no explanation. They just expect us to know what's happening or catch on. It's really great, and I wish they'd done more with the style. It really works for the show. Megan M says, I remember watching this episode during the original airing and being a little confused at first with the style. Did they mess up the editing? Yes, I did catch on eventually. Love the paranoia upon Weaver's return until she finds out Romano didn't spill the beans about her coming out to him. Overall, a unique and good season premiere into what will be a dark, depressing season, except for the return of Susan. At Basic Mall says, oh fuck, right, it's season eight now. It's an interesting episode. I kind of like what they tried with the four different stories and how you see them intersect at points. It's not amazing or the best episode of ER, but it's good. I like when they try new stuff. 
Anyway, welcome to Sadness, because really after episode four, it's all downhill from here, and I can't wait because I do absolutely love it, and it's a great season. And at the full-time dad, Aaron, I see we're keeping it brief today, says, conceptually, this was one of the show's most ambitious efforts, but it felt kind of like ambush to me in the sense that none of the main storylines really move forward, and the storytelling gimmick comes across as, oh, look what we can do, rather than actually adding anything to the story. The episode is also a reminder to me of how quickly things will change this season. By episode 11, three of these principles will be gone. The team is going to be hella busy with cast retrospectives. (laughs) 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 I know. (laughs) The the funniest part about that is that all Lauren has to do for those is just show up. (laughs) I do all the work for those. Like I I pull all the clips. I do all of the notes. It literally all Lauren has to do is show up and she's and it's still, still too much. She's dragged <laughs> kicking and screaming like a petulant toddler through most of this, but especially cast retrospectives. No, Daniel, you do amazing work for those and they would be much worse if you were not steering the helm. All right. Well, that's what going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each weekend for only $5 a month. You can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 60 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about, about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and who speaks to those, where Lauren reads us some ER fan fiction. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. While it's still here, we are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Sight Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sight and Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me posting pictures of my attempted climbs because I'm apparently into rock climbing now on my Instagram at Lobo92345. Or if you want to get real trendy and weird, you can find me at Hive at Lobob92345. was able to snag that Twitter username for Hive. So Huzzah. get at me, guys. I'm trying to use my Instagram more. So there you go. I forget what my I forget what my Instagram is. I I don't even remember. I got anymore. you, girl. I've I've literally posted like six pictures. And don't care. You can post. Anyway. You can post pictures. Uh, of but you can but you can find me on Twitter and also Hive. I am at Random Gamer. That's J M three R and potentially on Instagram. I think I'm working on it. I found you. Okay, she is Random Gamer one J M three R one. Cool. All right. Anyway, uh, we'll see you next time and have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>